In an hour, News Talk's Bobby Kerr would be presenting his Down to Business show, but according to the Irish Times, he's been writing a report on the future of post offices that may include the closure of 80 post offices in what has been described as the final nail in the coffin of rural Ireland. It has prompted many to declare once more that rural Ireland is dead and gone. It's with O'Leary in the grave. In studio, Colin McCarthy is an economist. Jerry O'Regan is columnist with the Irish Independent and its former editor. Adrian Adrian Weckler is technology editor with independent newspapers and Sheila Riley is a former editor of the Longford Leader and currently digital editor of Iconic News, the publisher of several regional newspapers. Jerry O'Regan, obviously I'm butchering Yates there. I hope he's not turning in his grave. He said romantic Ireland's dead and gone. But I'm wondering, are we always being romantic about rural Ireland People have always fled the countryside and its hardship for tilling the soil and to seek a better life in an urban environment. And is this simply a natural evolution we're witnessing? Well, I, I, if you don't mind me saying so, I think your remarks there are very redolent of somebody who's who was weaned in the pasture lands of Meath, is it? Yes, that's right. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> which may be rural Ireland in a sense, but is a long, long way from the badlands of North Cavan. <laughs> South Cork, <laughs> West Kerry, and somewhere in the middle of Limerick. So um, I, I think it probably one of the problems is, is what do people think about, you know, or what are they talking about when they mention rural Ireland, if you like. Um, m- my own instinct, uh, leaving aside all the facts and the figures, is that there is a huge problem with the overdevelopment of Dublin and the surrounding areas. And when I say that, right down to, say, Port Leash and up to Drogheda and Dundalk and the East Coast down to Wexford and that. I mean, that's a hugely, as we know from population trends, a massive massive growth area population-wise. And to an extent, I think when we're talking about rural Ireland, we're talking about population. And there's no doubt, you know, going back to the terrible times of the 1950s and that the population in many parts of a of rural Ireland, if you like, has stabilised and in some cases increased. But I'm just going on superficial observation, if you like. I think there's parts of the Midlands which are in a very bad way. The border counties, absolutely. Donegal, I think, to an extent. And I think, um, I suppose, just two other points is, I think rural Ireland always had the advantages in that you could have a mix of ways of earning a living, if you like. You might have a some acres of land, but people don't work that anymore because it's simply not worth their while and they don't like getting wet if they're a member of the younger rural generation. And um, in counties like, say, for example, like Kerry, back around Dingle and that, um, I mean, it's doing extremely well in relation to tourism, which is really a massive growth industry for Ireland. Uh, Though as Paddy O'Shea, the late Paddy O'Shea used to say, that's all very well, but what about the bloody winter? (laughs) So, um, you know, there's that problem there. But I think the other thing is um, the imbalance, if you like, between uh, rural areas and big urban centres has been a problem in Europe since World War Two. The French are always and indeed have a more romanticised vision of rural France, say, you know, P- Parisians and that. And they're always very conscious of trying to make sure that the country is reasonably spread out. And finally, I would say is we should, in, a, in actual fact, be have a kind of a minister or some sort of proactive uh, effort, if you like, from central government to make sure that the jobs and that's what it all it's right, all comes but, but why? You know, why should well, the well, you can buy an average three bedroom semi detached house in many parts of Dublin at the moment for four or five hundred grand. 
it keeps people in massive debt for much of their adult lives and it's chronically overpriced property. The only reason for it is that you have an awful lot of people who want to live in that particular area. You can get, if we had a more spread out population, we'd have less problems. Say, for example, just taking that, a huge acute housing problem in Dublin, terrible transport problems for many people in Dublin. The M50 at 7am in the morning is not a great place to be at the moment. So we're going to have, we have the cost of all of that. Say, for example, a thousand years ago, back in the 1960s, they had the Buchanan Report with there was supposed to be various parts of the country, if you like, which would be hubs of development. And I think there are many, there are there are social reasons for it, but there are sound economic reasons for it. And if we keep the city, will always have an inherent pull. Mm. Um, and if if we don't, to an extent, almost fight against it. So if we get one of these trendy American high-tech companies, and Adrian might be able to say, I said to him, as we are coming in, has the internet come to the Blasket Islands? And he said he'd check out on that mm. one. But, yeah, you know, like one would think, again, with new technology, we'd be able to have a lots of <coughs> high-tech factories down the country and production units. Yeah, that the connectivity wouldn't be a road. You, know, you, could, have a, you could have a language yeah. translation service in Dingle, say, for example. Right. But, well, we'll come to Adrian on that in a minute. Sheila, I suppose there are two questions. One, is rural Ireland dying? You know, can we actually establish that? And if it is, why should we do anything about it? Is it better just to accept the inevitable? People are living in different ways now. They are living in different ways. But is the inevitable not that rural Ireland is going to survive? Because it has survived. And, and why won't it continue to do so? And the reason it has survived, because people have evolved, if you like, and have you know changed to meet the changing demands of the market out there. And we're going to have to do that again. And that's what, what people are doing all the time in rural areas. You know, like you see the number of farming farming families has declined all right and, and probably will continue to do as as kind of the industry consolidates but people move into different sectors and that's why technology and I know Adrian we're going to talk at length about the broadband in a few minutes that's why broadband is actually so important and everything we talk about this morning is probably going to come back to broadband that's going to be the key point I think there's there is a tendency to romanticise rural Ireland to kind of you know uh, talk about we talk <coughs> about culture and we talk about history and you know nearly to apologise for living in in rural areas and you know we don't have to apologise for living in rural areas I don't have to apologise for my one-off house in the, the badlands of North Cavan uh, <laughs> I, I have a one-off house yeah. too <laughs> <laughs> you know I, yeah. we, we don't have to apologise for that it, it's the way of life we're perfectly entitled to it once we can sustain it and it, these communities are viable and vibrant places they do need additional support and particularly the towns and villages need particular support without a doubt but a lot of that needs to come from the communities themselves you know when you're talking about the post offices closing say for example you know the the threat to the or allegedly the threat to the 80 post offices now that's not a huge amount in sort of the grand scheme of the 1000 plus post offices in the country but it's a big deal for the areas each particular area that it's that the post office is in there's no doubt about that but at the same time, you have to stand in front of the people and say, well, when was the last time you were in the post office? You know, are you using the service? You need to support these services in order to ensure that they stay in your areas. And it's the same for the towns as well. There's no point in saying there's nowhere in town to buy a new dress if you're just going on ASOS and buying it online anyway. You know, you have to actually go out and support your just rural areas. quickly going back to our evil one-off houses. Um, you see, what should the countryside look like? 
you know, the Greens would say and would have a lot of um, legitimate support for it that we shouldn't be in these one-off houses living out in the countryside expecting government services because it's uneconomical and we're ruining the environment. There should be a more um, centralised way of us living mm. in the villages and not out the country at all and let the tourists drive through the country and look at it and that would benefit everybody. the green fields. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there is, there is a, there definitely is a point in that. There's no denying it, you know. But again, I'm not going to apologise to the one-off houses because they are a kind of a way of life down where we're from and that's the reality of it, you know. What I would say is that there should be, to my mind, more incentives to encourage people to live in village areas and I know, say, the, the rural plan that was announced uh, realising our rural potential in January there, uh, one of the things, one of the aspects was is that, that there would be grants for people who would um, sort of develop property in the middle of towns or, you know, kind of uh, change sort of old shops into yeah. residential property. That's one step without a doubt. Another thing I think they possibly should be done is that there should be greater grants for people who want to um, renovate sort of maybe derelict or empty property in the middle of the country, you know, the houses that are actually existing already to stop them then going off and building these monstrosities that we're seeing at the side of hills in some places too, you know, because there is a fine line, you know, we have to be realistic about uh, our future planning and what rural Ireland will look like. You can't have one-off houses dotted throughout the country but at the same time there is a balance and I, th- I think that balance can be found and I think people do want to see villages returned um, restored and renewed if you like and if the incentives were there that people would go back to villages and would go back to village living, you know. Okay, so we shouldn't have one-off houses except for the ones that Sheila and I live Obviously. in. Obviously. Um, now, Colin McCarthy, so can you tell us actually, let's bring some data into this. Is rural Ireland dying? And what is the definition, you know, of rural Ireland? Yeah, yeah. well, the, the, the answer is uh, it's complicated. Yeah. Uh, there are large parts of the country, particularly mid-Leinster, but quite a lot of Leinster, uh, and the areas around cities like Cork and Galway, the smaller villages around those places are not dying at all. In fact, some of, the, some of them have populations that are rising at a spectacular rate. Uh, And generally, uh, Ireland has been going through, along with just about everywhere else in Europe, uh, a slow process of agricultural decline and urbanisation has been going on for 150 years. Uh, And uh, it's kind of unstoppable, really. But what we've seen uh, in, in small towns and villages that are maybe an hour, within an hour or so of... Uh, Cork or Dublin or something like that uh, the small towns and villages have become suburban and people are commuting uh, and you notice that a lot out to the west of Dublin for example uh, a lot of the people who live out and, and you know, I'm talking about places far away as Port Leash say, which is 80 kilometres away and even further um, a lot of those people are not necessarily commuting into the middle of Dublin either uh, I used to drive up uh, up the M7 uh, quite a bit. I used to spend a lot of time down the West Midlands. And it was interesting. The traffic had got really heavy by about Newbridge and Nace. And then as you headed beyond Nace, the traffic would die off a little bit because some of the people were going to Nace. They weren't going all the way into Dublin. And then there'd be people who were going to, um, you know, business parks and industrial estates out, out along the M7. Uh, so the cities have got spread out anyway. And employment has got more spread out in, in the big urban areas than it used to be. I mean, there was a time when 
after the people in Dublin worked in the middle of Dublin. They don't anymore. They worked out around the suburbs and around the airport or Sandyford. The M50 ring. There's an M50 ring. uh, There's a city west and all these sorts of places. Uh, So the picture is mixed, and the Central Statistics Office published, along with the preliminary 2016 census results, uh, a very uh, uh, nice little series of maps which showed... For each electoral district, now electoral districts are quite small, mm. uh, it showed whether the population had risen or fallen uh, in the last while. And the shape of the map was very revealing. Uh, there, there are not a lot of areas in the eastern half of the country where the population has been weak. Uh, it's really in the west, the north midlands, the northwest. The parts of the midlands are doing just fine. Uh, and down along the, the west coast, parts of Kerry. Uh, and it's very difficult to, to uh, come up with a kind of a three-point plan that will suddenly solve all these problems. Um, but but should there be a three-point plan? I, I, mean, I guess that's the, the question country, I'm this, asking. If you want a three-point plan, ask a politician. Well, my point is... And, 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 and <laughs> suspend... Uh, Fine Gael had a five-point plan, so they went five. five, yeah, five they went five, five two wow. more. Well, but my had, point... The last action <coughs> plan had 270-plus ah, actions in it. That's the hurdle. But the question is, if those areas further away from urban centres yeah. are naturally declining, yeah. you know, is that something that you can actually fight? And attempting to fight it is a futile and expensive exercise. It, 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 it's very difficult... Uh, one of the myths that uh, abandoned this area in Ireland is that the city and county of Dublin has been growing its share of national population. Now, that's actually not true. Uh, the most rapidly growing areas are places like Maid and Kildare and, and, and places further out. Uh, the population of Tipperary 50 years ago was the same as the populations of Maid and Kildare combined. Right. Today, the, the population made in Kildare combined are two and a half times the population of Tipperary. So that shows the real story. And, and, and Tipperary is not the most re- remote place either. But but to, to, to just Although they've no Fine Gael TD, which is obviously oh, oh, a travesty. Oh, that's <laughs> shocking for them. They've a hurling team, though, as a, as a consolation. But to, to, to just make a, a point about the one-off housing... Uh, there's an awful lot of it in Ireland. Uh, Irish people don't like one another very much, so they prefer <laughs> to live as far away from the Splendid isolation. In splendid <laughs> isolation. Uh, and there are huge costs involved in that, including environmental costs. Energy consumption is much higher in, uh, with rural lifestyles than it is with urban lifestyles, and car ownership is higher, and so on and so forth. Um, another kind of country area that I'm f- a bit familiar with is parts of southern Germany. Uh, there is very little one-off rural housing in southern Germany and people live in villages and so do farmers you see three farms in a row uh, with a farmyard and a tractor and all that and the guys get up at 7 o'clock in the morning and drive out to their farms and is that then so, much better than it's well, hold on a second okay. uh, I inquired as you do uh, why was this so and it's not because they get subsidies to, to live in villages it's because if you go along to the Burgermeister and you ask for permission to build a house uh, a mile away from the nearest village, he'll say, nine. Mm. It's not allowed. Uh, and it's not allowed because it's hugely costly. Right. Uh, in terms of providing roads and all the rest of it. Okay, well, we get back to that. Now, Adrian Weckler, 
Um, I was talking to Eamon O'Queeve recently and uh, he said to me, what do you think was the issue most raised in his rural uh, constituency in Galway West during the election? And I thought, uh, abortion. And he said, no, broadband. That is the number one thing that people care about. So tell us about where the problems are, how it affects people's lives and what on earth is happening, this thing we're always hearing about, the National Broadband Plan. Yeah, well, the the overall picture, um, Comreg, which is the telecoms regulator, uh, this week came out with the most recent statistics of who has broadband and who doesn't and what kind of broadband they get. And the figures are fairly similar. So there's a stubborn third of the population of the the houses, the dwellings in Ireland that will get uh, consistently a weak level of broadband. That's a third that the market more or less won't service. Now, the rest of us are doing quite well. So two-thirds of us have... Pretty good broadband. We've broadband from companies like Virgin, even Air itself. Uh, there's new services coming on stream from companies like Syro, which will then lease out fibre lines to, to, to other companies. And by and large, most of us now have pretty good broadband. The problem is that geographically, if you look at the map that Department of Communications puts out, they divide it into blue and amber. The, the good broadband areas, the bad broadband areas, something like 90, 95% of the country geographically you know, is uh, is categorised as the bad broadband areas. Now, the problem for that, from an Irish point of view, we, 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 I think we've broadened the conversation here into to, to planning and lifestyle and 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 those kind of issues. The issue for for us uh, was highlighted by the European Commission, which about a week ago came out with its uh, most recent figures on how countries in Europe are getting on. Digitally, And it said that Ireland, <clears throat> despite all of our problems, the small companies in Ireland, when they get broadband, actually do the best in Europe for selling cross-border, for e-commerce, for a number of other things. But at the same time as that's happening, we have one of the worst rates of digital literacy in the rest of the population because uh, such a large proportion of the population, at least a million people, little bit more than that don't even really have basic broadband so so that that's 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 the structural issue we yeah. face now there's a little town called Lagan in Longford uh, and recently Legan oh, excuse me now excuse me Sheila here well actually fantastic. I was down there and a couple of people called it Lagan but okay yeah, yeah, in the local, in if the, the local Cavan pronunciation is Legan I'll, I'll take it as Legan yeah. um, and uh, I, I, I drove down there because it 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 was identified as the worst town in Ireland, the worst village in Ireland for broadband, where the average speed was something like something like one megabit per second. Now, now to put that in context, that means if you want to... I, I spoke to, to, to the, the head of the, GA, the local GA hall there, and he said they were putting on a, a strictly dancing event, a come dancing event, but they had to stay up all night to send the pictures for the brochure to the printers because right. the broadband was so slow that when they tried to send a picture... It would take about 20 minutes for an individual picture. So, but even in Ligon, um, there's still these incredible pockets of people trying to do to do things. Mm-hmm. There's there's a world famous ballet school in the. I only discovered Shawbrook, this when I actually yeah, went down Shawbrook, there, Shawbrook, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I, just, I was researching it. I was I was look, literally looking through Google. Is there anyone in Ligon I can actually talk to about how you know? And I came across this you ballet. Sent him an email. Uh, well, yeah, quite. Yeah, actually, you'd use a landline, even worse. But um, and so I went to talk to the people in Shaw. They 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 take students from all over the world, and 
so we're talking about the value of what we call rural Ireland, but like actually people, if you give towns like Legan a chance, they will actually create pretty amazing things. Now that um, uh, Annika in the mm-hmm. Shawbrook School, she told me that when she's communicating with students from South Africa, from the States, from Asia, she has to climb up a tree at the bottom of her garden I think put her phone on mobile hotspot and see if the email will send that way. Mm. My God. So, yeah. um, but despite this and despite these problems, she she's hanging in there and that business and that school and that kind of important cultural institution, not only for Legan, but for Longford yeah. and probably for the country is hanging in there. Now, so imagine what she could do if she had decent broadband. What is the status of this national broadband plan? Because right, well, we're always hearing about it. Just... Quick refresher, the National Broadband Plan is the government's promise to connect every single rural home in the country, every single one-off home, to broadband of at least 30 megabits per second. And they've now upgraded that to fibre broadband, which will be up to 1,000 megabits per second, a gigabit, a, a gigabit per second. The This was kicked off in 2012. As we sit here this morning in 2017, the government's, after a series of delays, the government now says it is just about to give us the final maps which show the status of every home in the country for broadband. Mm-hmm. And then the three shortlisted companies who are going to tender for this broadband contract, which is Air, Enet and Syro, will then be able to do their final calculations, bid for this process, and one of them will uh, come out as the winner. What this means in terms of people getting broadband is it probably means a further delay. I've been writing about this for years. Mm-hmm. The most recent estimate was that build-out of this would start early 2018 and connections would start in 2018 to be finished by 2023. If the map is only coming in a few weeks, if if the tenders is only going to be announced late summer, early autumn, there's no way that people are going to be connected, I think now, before probably next summer, which means mid-2023, which means 11 years after the project was announced. So we're well behind schedule. Now there is a parallel process happening here. It's not all bad news because the number of homes in Ireland to be connected or the number of homes and businesses the government identified was 927,000. Now what AIR have done is partly for commercial reasons and partly for strategic reasons they have said right see that 900,000 300,000 of those we're actually going to connect ourselves anyway. Okay, to to fibre, and they've they've committed to doing that. Now they're doing that for kind of strategic reasons because if they take three hundred thousand out of the nine hundred thousand, but they're the three hundred thousand easier ones to connect, and that makes it much harder for the other companies to be economically viable. Having said that, even that being the case, Mm. I suspect the minister minister for communications, Dennis Nocton, is going to come out and probably say something like, "Well, um, on our watch." Uh, we have this national broadband plan that's going forward. Yes, it will be a little bit. But look, this company is coming in and it's going to connect a big tranche of these anyway. And this has happened on our watch. This is a policy goal that has been achieved. And look, we're all a little bit better off. That's what I suspect is going to happen. But there is a solid tranche of about 200,000 homes and businesses in this country who won't get any kind of decent broadband, at least until the next decade. At least. technological development eventually make this easier to do. Say within a decade, could it be that the technical and the financial obstacles will in actual fact be less 
that we're we're operating from the position we're in now, if you like, the normal yep. position now. The, the, the big question in that question is whether you dig trenches and, and lay lines or whether you connect through masts with 5G, which is supposed yeah. to be coming. So 5G mobile. So at the moment, we so have 4G mobile. So wired versus wireless. So wired, but, but not just wireless, not just the antennas that you stick on your roof. The mm. fi- if you live down the country... A lot in a small village. A lot of the time, the only broadband option you have will be the local provider, and he'll come out or she'll come out, and they'll put a, a little antenna on the top of your roof, and that antenna will point towards a bigger antenna in the <laughs> village, and you'll get about six or seven megabits per second. And if there's a storm, if it rains hard, you might be interrupted. Okay, um, with five G, what we're talking about here mm-hmm. is we're actually talking about Vodafone and Three and Meteor, and we're talking about the, the next step in mobile cellular. Uh, connectivity to your phone and that promises to be the same speed as fibre connectivity but we won't have that till at least 20, uh, sort of 2021. Do you know 20 years ago I was working for ESAT Digifone going around the country getting the mass and um, I was actually pretty good at it and I never lost mass so maybe I should go back and start getting mass. <laughs> well there's mass a big problem with mass because yeah. if you go down to, to, to a lot of rural communities yeah. and uh, yeah mm. uh, the, the big yeah. complaint will be we can't get decent 4G coverage. I keep uh, my, my calls keep dropping. You look up the records of the council when when Vodafone or whoever applied for a mast, and who was first in the line to object mm-hmm. to the mast? You know, the yeah. same person. Some of your texts. Mark says, "I live in Ockram, very small but vibrant and full of tourism during the summer. The bigger towns in the area, however, are complete ghost towns now. Rathdrum, Arklow, Wicklow, etc. I think the N11 bypassing these places kill them." build direct routes and I feel they'll come alive again. To further my point look at Gory, a direct route and is now booming and full of dubs. But why would you want the dubs down there at all? Mick says, yes, let's utilise the empty motorway lanes out of Dublin. It's a small country. We need a 20 year plan. New midland cities like Athlone and Mullingar need developed incentives for multinationals. Too much of people's capital is tied up in mortgages. Release this capital to business and investment. Roll on centre parks in Longford. Can I just make a point though about that that's very true and roll on Centre Parks in Longford for definite but Centre Parks there's not a Centre Parks coming to every county you know and you know we accept there's not a Google coming to every county to Longford or all these places either you know the FDI is important but I do feel that there should be a greater push on Indigenous business there should be more supports for them Um, you know when you look at that realising our rural potential plan that the government uh, unveiled in in January one of the things was that they were going to try and increase FDI by something like 46% uh, in the country and like that would in, and encourage people to go out of the main urban areas, which we know foreign companies don't particularly want to go out of the urban areas anyway. But realistic, that is that a realistic objective? To my mind, it's not. You know, I hear councillors all the time going on about the idea and the number of idea visits to a county and why they were so small and criticising the idea. But in reality, there should be more supports for those indigenous businesses instead of concentrating on foreign direct investment because that might not necessarily, that isn't the answer, I feel. But there you, isn't a centre part for Adrian Rector, Sorry, that was <coughs> Sheila O'Reilly talking. Adrian if you're Rector. talking about indigenous business and supporting indigenous, like Allah Enterprise Ireland, for mm. example, what you're really back to is supporting cities and the, the greater build-up of cities. Because if you talk to, um, I, I cover a lot of startups, for example, tech startups, and quite a few of them actually come from rural areas, mm. but they're sure not operating their startup from the rural area. If, if you're going to increase support for uh, local indigenous uh, companies, you're absolutely, be- just going back to the broadband mm. thing again. Oh, I be- agree, be- totally. Because... 
it's such a wasteland for connectivity. And we, we look what we talk about broadband. What we're actually talking about is is is, is lifestyle, it's and we're talking about yeah. basic communications. Mm. But all of those small companies will all hover around Galway. Uh, Limerick, Cork. But I, I, I but wouldn't see any major. Jerry, I, I, I wouldn't see any. You know, major problem with that because uh, you know, as I was saying at the outset, one of the things is the concept of rural Ireland. Like there is no problem driving from Dingle. I mean, Morris. The, the manager of the Kerry football team teach, uh, lives up in Morris North Fitzgerald. No, no. Um, Eamon Fitzmaurice. Eamon, that's it. Yeah. You know, lives up in North Kerry somewhere and drives back to Dingle where he teaches. It's, you know, it's about a 40 mile trip each way every day. But I'm sure he's got a reasonably pleasant car and all the rest of it. <laughs> like, nobody's suggesting that we, we need massive job creation centres in Bohola or Castle Gregory. But I do think that uh, that there is just going in observation, that's all, that there is certainly the, the key population centres. Say, for example, take a town like Tralee. Just again, an observation seems to me beca- uh, is in relative decay because the population is growing, but there is not enough of worthwhile, reasonably well-paid jobs available. Dingle is different because it's a tourist hotspot. But I think Tralee could do very well, going back to what Sheila was saying, with a lot of native-inspired entrepreneurial businesses and a whole whack of German, Japanese, <laughs> Indonesian companies who would come in there can I, can I and, ju- and, ju- and just create jobs because there is very high unemployment there. There's an awful lot of social problems there. And the population, I'm talking about Tralee yeah, now, and yeah. the population continues, relatively speaking, to increase. And it could do with a major economic injection. Can I give you an example of uh, exactly uh, that type of situation happened in a town called Kilchimaw in Mayo? Now, I remember for, for 15 years I've been covering tech and there were there was this company called CMS Peripherals and, and it, it was based out of Kilchamaw in Mayo and it was basically a local guy who created one of the biggest tech accessories businesses in these islands. And I always used to think, well, what the hell is it doing in Kilchamaw in Mayo? The fact that he kept that in Kilchimaw, it created a kind of an ecosystem. It created mm-hmm. a, a whole thing around that part of Mayo. And it really brought that part of They sell more cappuccinos county. and they're developing well, a taste for cappuccino down see, in Kerry at the moment. There is, and there is, aside <laughs> from the, the flair of cappuccino in, in Kerry. But I never uh, drink yeah. coffee. I'm a real coach. Yeah, so it's, it's only Barry's tea, tea for me. <laughs> Barry's tea. But this is why I think, we, you know, th- there's such potential in the digital hubs, for example. Like, uh, there's one, there was one open in Skibbereen last year and I think another now, one in Drogheda. Can, can I just say about that Skibbereen? Can I just say yeah. about that Skibbereen? Okay. I was there for that launch. Um, I have nothing but uh, a joy for the inhabitants of, of, of Skibbereen with, with their gigabit town. But that was kind of an example. Skibbereen is a very, very rich uh, West Cork town yeah. with an awful lot of rich people from Dublin and from England who have holiday homes mm. there. It just so happened that the uh, chief executive of Vodafone, that the chief executive then of, of Google Ireland, that uh, Richard Attenborough and several of the other people who were supporting this uh, this project 
all kind of live in the area. It, it wouldn't really support necessarily mm. uh, investment uh, uh, for that kind of infrastructure at the time. It's not going to happen in Roscommon, for example, in Roscommon yeah, Town. Now towns are looking for it, though, Adrian. I mean, Cavan has put the wheels in motion for a digital hub in their town. I see Longford. Um, yeah. They're, they're starting they're to see them. they're only going to get it under something like the National Broadband Plan because there's but nobody in their right mind is going to go into... Like air, neither air nor sire or anything is going to go into Cavan Town with, you know, well, I think a seventy one million of those one euro. Pro- towns. Yeah. Isn't there a number? There's ten of those towns throughout the country. I think ca- country of Cavan so, was so, one of them. So, 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 so that's being used as a test mm. town, but by, by, by Syro, for yeah. example. So, if you're being used as a test town, then you have potential. But if you're not, is that really what you're saying? That y- yeah, yeah. That, that basically. And why is Syro in Cavan? Why is it in, in other towns? Partly because it wants to win the national broadband plan, it's a it's a it's a proof of test. Also, and, and even if it doesn't win the national broadband plan, it intends to build out uh, you know uh, uh, three hundred thousand homes or whatever from which it can get some kind of of revenue and from which they can probably lease out those lines to other operators in the long term. But if they don't win the national broadband plan, they will actually they'll probably be in the red. So it, it is kind of a proof of test. But but yes. Absolutely. If these kind of towns can get that kind of infrastructure, it will completely, completely change their prospects. But I think, well, just, can can I make, just okay. to make one last point, yeah. I think what it'll do as well is it'll take people out of, you know, the home workers who are commuting maybe two or three, you know, they're two, commuting two or three days a week to Dublin or Galway or wherever and working out of the shed or the spare room the rest of the week. You know, that there's a potential to take them out of those isolated spots, if you like, and bring them into the centre of the town, perhaps where they're coming in and maybe interacting with other people and maybe you have 20 or 30 people working out of those hubs, not necessarily just in tech, just, in, you know, across different spheres and that they're, in a sense, the creation of like a small and medium sized company in themselves, you know, in mm. these towns right. and that they well, will make a difference. Colin McCarthy, could we go back for a second to southern Germany? And where you were describing how, because of consistent decades long planning laws, there are no one off houses in the country because they took a a strategic decision. They were too expensive to maintain. So they're not sitting around having these conversations about how they're going to connect uh, broadband or anything else or water services or sewage services or roads to these houses. So I have heard people in Dublin saying, look, why should we subsidise getting services to your home on the back of a mountain. You're the one that wanted it there. You knew what you were getting into. It is not up to us to subsidise your life now. Yeah, well, we always have done. Uh, I mean, one of the features of the supply of electricity, for example, in Ireland, is that the unit price is the same. If you live up a tree uh, at the far end of the Berda Peninsula and there's a wire in the locality, you get electricity per unit at the same price. Is there not a rural standing charge? Hold thing? on, hold oh, on, right. I'm coming to that. Okay. Uh, the unit cost the same. It is phenomenally expensive to keep a distribution system, that's the low voltage system of wires that run around the country, to keep that system functioning through the Irish winter and renew it every now and again uh, for very low density demand like that is very, very costly uh, and, and people don't for it. Interestingly though if you go on to the ESB tomorrow and you say I'm building a brand new house in the middle of nowhere can you organise a wire they'll send you a bill mm, Shock! Now the bill, a once off bill yeah. uh, the, the, the regular monthly bill mm. won't be any different but they'll send, they'll send you a once off bill which is much less than the cost of putting it in 
Uh, but it might still be a thousand quid or a few thousand quid, depending on on how far it is to the to the nearest part of the system. Uh, but with broadband that, that Adrian was on about, the bid is going to be zero. So so we've decided to provide broadband for every building in Ireland, including uh, the, the most re- remote place you can think of, on a more subsidised basis than we currently do with electricity. It's impossible to get Irish politicians to think about that because they think about votes. Mm. And everybody who'd like to have something subsidised is a vote. Can I just just make one point there? I think possibly the most significant development since we achieved independence has been mooted in the last 48 hours. They're going to reopen step-aside Garda Station. Ah. So let us us restrain ourselves in actual fact by getting over-enthusiastic about rural ethnic cleansing. In actual fact... Um, parish pump politics is as relevant to Shane Ross and the rarefied voters in the environs of Stepaside as the Healy Rays down in the in South Kerry. And um, we, we're faced with a, a, you, you, a, you. You can't operate a, you, you may operate an economy, but you can't operate a society by suggesting that, say, for example rural bus routes have to be subsidised or a national rail I mean we, we can go back and do the head case stuff we did when we closed the Harcourt Street line back in the depressed 1950s because usage wasn't so much. We can in actual fact, our entire rail network could in actual fact be closed down because it's so inherently uneconomic and we could close all a lot, an awful lot of rural bus services. But of course we should, in actual fact, I think anyway, operate a reasonably broad-based societal dimension to the, the rural parts of Ireland. And there are loads of things in urban areas which are subsidised as well. Say, for example, the entire road network in and around Dublin is costing millions and we're spending a fortune now developing the Lewis and all the rest of it because we've got an over-concentration of population. Yeah, oh, and Eamon so, O'Queeve would make the point that the rural countryside, by paying the same income taxes and VAT and everybody else, has subsidised the four billion that got spent on urban sewage schemes sure, uh, while yeah, we were all yeah, paying yeah, for yeah, you know, it's it's it's, it's a kind of a daft yeah. argument, yeah. You, you know. But in actual fact, it, I, I think it, we, we're always probably at the cusp of major change. But in actual fact, we probably are now once again in. Let us use the phrase "provincial Ireland," perhaps rather just, than "rural just Ireland." Just quickly, I have to go to a break. But just quickly, that argument that the dubs would make. You chose to live on the back of a mountain out there. You mean in step aside, is it? <laughs> I mean, I mean, in actual fact, they can't actually get the Garda cars out from about 12 different um, uh, Garda stations all around Dublin. But in actual fact, they've now got to have one guy, you know. Sarah, Sarah the, 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 there's a few things that always... You know, it, it intrude into my brain when I hear these discussions because this discussion has been going on in Ireland for 50 years. Uh, and one of the, the, the questions is how many villages are there in Ireland? For example, there are 1,100 post offices. Mm. There's a fair few of those in Dublin, but not that many. There aren't 1,100 villages in Ireland. So some of them are at crossroads. Uh, and there is an employment thing that the postmaster or postmistress has a living out of this. Uh, The Bank of Ireland has 200 branches in the same country. Uh, It's hard to find yourself more than 10 miles now from a branch of the Bank of Ireland. 
Right. Uh, and in in uh, rural Ireland, again, these figures are, are collected in the census. Uh, over 80%, and in some cases 90% of households have a car, uh, and there are large parts of rural Ireland where 50% and more of households have two or more cars. The lowest rates of car ownership in Ireland are in the central areas of Dublin. Surprise, surprise, you can walk or get the bus or whatever. Uh, plus, we've finally built a flipping national road network. So people talk about the network of retailing and, you know, the the urban hierarchy in, 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 in rural areas, as if we were all still going around on a horseback. <laughs> uh, and, and it, you know, it's simply a fact uh, that folks that live in a village that maybe has seven or 800 people don't shop there. There might be a primary school. There probably isn't a secondary school. The government picks up your kids and buses them off to secondary school. Uh, and people, not not merely do they shop <coughs> in, in the nearest big town, they think nothing of sailing off for an hour up to a big shopping centre on the west side of Dublin, or indeed in Galway or Limerick or somewhere, uh, or, or Newry. So it's their own behaviour. It's not well, neglect of the government. And Well, I, 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 I'm not ticking people off about the behaviour. I'm mm. just saying that politics is the last area to accept what's going on. Uh, in, in, in the 1920s, just after independence, there was a census in 1926. 53% of the population were employed in agriculture. 53%. Uh, there were no cars and so on. Uh, we now have a very mobile uh, high car ownership society. Uh, Jerry mentioned rural transport services and all that. That's fine. But one of the pro- current problems with bus Aaron uh, is uh, they have a high-cost base and their traffic volumes are declining because people have motor cars and we now have a road system. Uh, these things have consequences. <coughs> they have to be taken into account. Um, Speci- specifically, on industrial policy, and I'll, I'll finish on this point, back in 1968 which is 50 years ago nearly, the government hired a famous fellow called Colin Buchanan, mm-hmm. who yeah, at the yeah. time was the top regional planning wizard in the world and all that. And he came over here and he wrote a very simple report. Uh, he said there are about a dozen significant urban centres in Ireland, obviously Dublin and Cork, but a few others, Waterford and Sligo and, and, and Tralee and so on. But he stopped at about a dozen and he said, you should give up now trying to get folks. It's not a big country. This is not Russia we're dealing with here. It's it's only a couple of hours wide and three or four hours long, if you know what I mean. So Buchanan recommended that a dozen or so centres be chosen for economic development and build a decent road system in between them. Well, we did the roads. No. no. Uh, what the government did was they explicitly rejected his report and just in time for the subsequent election, they published a regional industrial plan that named 160 
target centres for industrial development. It's called step-aside politics. That, that no, it's called, the it's called naked populism. That and happened money with the launch of the National Broadband Plan. Pat Rabbit was the minister and they launched this in 2012 and they, they named, going back to your 110 village, yeah. they named 110 village in a long list yeah. Of the villages and towns that would get fibre broadband, and it was yeah. just before the local elections. Yeah. But you so see, can, can I can I just yeah. make one point? Is people we're talking here about mobility within rural Ireland and why people won't travel here and they do travel there, etc. Biggest single issue in provincial rural Ireland since 1922 has people not moving from Limerick to Asti or moving from Ruski to Castlebar or anything yeah. like that. It's moving out of Ireland, emigrating. Because there's simply not enough jobs. It is secondary. We can talk about roads. We can even talk about broadband. We can talk about everything else. The decades come. The decades go with the politicians. The governments change and all the rest of it. The biggest single thing that would change rural Ireland and will make people travel to a certain place and will make them shop in a certain place and in many cases will make them perhaps move and live in a certain place is if there's a job to be got. Mm. There's a whole whack of young Irish people in London, in New York and in Germany who would in actual fact some of whom would actually be living here if there was jobs available. The biggest single economic failure of successive governments in Ireland has been lack of sufficient job creation as reflected in our ongoing emigration levels. We had it in the collapse of the economy when swathes of people left Ireland and uh, had to emigrate. The biggest single movement of population has been from provincial Ireland to an extent abroad and also to Dublin. We could change... no, No evidence of Immigration from rural Ireland into Dublin for forty years. Well, okay. well, the, the, in actual fact, I I, I don't know. The, I might, the, I, might, the, I may be living in a morass. You are, but, the, the, but, you but are. in actual fact, what, the, happen, the, what the, happens is what, what happens is is that the government, for example, because of the size, of, because of the location, they advertised, for example, say recently, executive officers in the civil service. They went for a mad kind of redistribution of the uh, relocation of the civil service. You know, in previous yeah. years. But we all know, common sense would suggest you take say, for example, the people who leave the secondary schools dotted across provincial Ireland, if there was enough work and enough well-paid work and enough well-paid jobs, some of people will always emigrate. A lot of Irish people want to go abroad for a variety of reasons. But certainly there is an imbalance as regards job creation. In South Kerry, in the 1950s, 73,000 people emigrated in one decade. I would suggest if you go back and look at the movement from South Kerry over the last 20 years, it is, and indeed parts of Mayo, and Mm -hmm. common sense would suggest it. You can can take the school leavers of any given year and how many go to third level and how many come, come back. More would come back if more jobs were available. Colm, I'll give you a last yeah, word on that. Yeah, yeah. I think Quite we need briefly. to be very data-based about this, though, and, and, and not rely on, on recollections and so on. The faster rate of, of population growth uh, in this country in recent times has not been driven by immigration from rural Ireland into Dublin. That was true until... But where are they going? Until the 1970s. 
the, the faster rate of growth in some parts of the country is actually due to differences in the age structure as much as it is to migration flows. In other words, if you've got a rural area and everybody is 60 years of age, dying. they won't have any kids no matter how hard they try. <laughs> and who's going to all the local <laughs> secondary schools? Yeah, yeah, 60 no, year no, olds. Yeah. I'm sorry, I do have to wrap, okay? Maybe we should just continue on this conversation next week if you'd all come back. Adrian Weckler, Jerry O'Regan, Colin McCarthy, Sheila Riley, many thanks for joining me this morning. Thank you for listening. Listening.